My God, my God, my goodness. My goodness. Grab your Bibles. Go with me to 1 Timothy if you can. Grab your Bibles. Go with me to 1 Timothy if you can. What a powerful, powerful uh, expression of the of, of uh, worshiping the Lord in song. We are so grateful for the word of God. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And one of the ways that we honor the word of God in this house is we stand on our feet for the reading of the word. So if you can, and if you've got capable enough legs for you to stand for about 45 seconds, I want you to stand all over this building. First Timothy chapter 6, if you got it, shout, I got it. All right, if you need a second, say, hold on a second. All right, uh, I, as, as promised, don't worry, I don't go to First Timothy that often either, so take your time, take your time. As promised, this, this week I'm going to be talking about money. Somebody shout money. I'm going to be discussing giving. Somebody shout giving. It's critical that we have this dialogue and we have this conversation. So let's, let's read our scripture and then let's jump into uh, right away into the word of God. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 10. Somebody shout, I got it. This is what the word of the Lord says to us. It simply says, for the love of money. Somebody shout the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through, me, th through with many sorrows. Somebody shout the love of money. Somebody shout the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Amen. And the word of the Lord is blessed. I want you to find somebody and I want you to tell them uh, money matters. Somebody said money matters. And, and now I want you to tell them God's going to teach me how to play the money game. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray now that you would speak to us and minister to us by the word of God. Father, I pray that you would uh, send the kind of anointing that makes preaching and teaching the gospel be very easy today. But more importantly, let the receiving of the gospel, the hearing of the gospel, be anointed by your hands. For, Father, we thank you for the chance and the privilege to don this pulpit and to say, thus saith the Lord. We don't, by any stretches of our imagination, make ourselves think that this is by our own intellect, that this is an offshoot of much studying. But, God, if it's going to pierce our spirit and, and touch our cognitive mind, it will have to be by your spirit and not just by good teaching. So, Holy Spirit, take control of this moment, arrest this atmosphere, let us hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying, but even more so, let us be doers of the word and not just hearers only. And we bless you for this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Why don't you smile at somebody and tell them it's just church. It's just church. It's okay. It's just church. It's church. I am going to teach today, so I want you to get your ink pen, get your pencils, or get your telephones out, or however it is that you do, and I want you to get prepared to take notes. Now listen, if you have your phone out, don't be tweeting and texting, acting like you're taking notes. Amen. Amen. Don't be tweeting and texting, talking about, I'm taking notes, Bishop. Don't be doing that. All right? Let's, let's prepare ourselves for the word of God uh, because I do need to discuss this idea and this concept called money. Uh, let's talk about money and, and uh, of so many horrible things that we don't like to talk about in church or we over talk about in church. Talking about money is almost like talking about sin. You know, some churches talk about sin every time you go, and then some churches don't ever talk about sin. And it's the same way with money. Some churches talk about money every time you're there. 
And then there are other, times, other churches that don't talk about money ever. And the reality of both of them is that it's not an either-or proposition. It's a both-and proposition. Is that we should be speaking and talking about the concept and the idea and the blessedness, but also the traps of money. Because money is a part of our life. Money is a part of the journey. Money is, though it is not spiritual in and of itself, it certainly has spiritual applications, which is why we're able to discuss and to talk about money in the space of a Sunday service. Because, God, because money matters to God, and if it matters to God, it should matter to you. Amen. Money matters to God, and, it should, and if it matters to God, it should matter to you. So I'm going to teach a lot today. We're going to be teaching a little bit, and, and we'll see, you know, you might not get your, your full of, your feel of, of preaching and jumping and all that good stuff, but I do want to lay some principles in your spirit concerning money. Somebody shout money. Somebody shout money. Money is one of those conversations that are not talked in many people's homes unless we don't have enough of it. We oftentimes don't speak about a strategy concerning money. We don't speak about how we're going to use our money. The, the breadth of most families' conversations as it relates to money is how to earn it and the fact that we spend it. And that's not a good enough conversation anymore. If we're going to lay the foundation for the next 10 years of our life, the next decade of our life, money cannot just be about how do I get more of it and what are we going to spend it on. Now, the next level of conversation is going to be the way that God talks about money as a strategy as an opportunity for philanthropic efforts, as an opportunity to let the world see and experience the expression of what God has put in your spirit. All of those things take money. Somebody shout money. Unfortunately, I have done y'all wrong, and I apologize. I have done you wrong because I don't talk about money here at this church nearly enough. I don't talk about giving nearly enough aside from the, the few moments we have at offering time, and I apologize to you for that. I apologize to you for that because you will never understand the blessedness of what it means to be a giver. You will never understand God's mindset of what it means to strategize your finances. And you'll never understand the way that God intended to bless your life in this particular area if we never talk about it. And the reason why I don't talk about it that much is the reason why I felt like I needed to come talk about it is because if the good guys don't talk about it, you're left to learn about God and money from the bad guys, from the guys that want you to turn around five times and all your debt's going to be gone tonight, that if you give $100 in this offering, your husband's going to come back home. Uh, you hear what I'm saying? Now, I'm not saying that all of those guys are not necessarily truthful, but what I am saying is that is that more often than not, that's foolishness. And I don't want the children of God, particularly those that God has entrusted me to shepherd, to be walking in foolishness. There are moments and there are times where you should sow. There are moments when the anointing is high where you should sow. There are moments where a special offering is necessary. I'll show you that in the Bible over the course of this series. However, we have maimed and perverted this idea of biblical giving such to the degree that we have missed and, and, and it has made people like myself feel like I don't want to bring it before my congregation. At least they think that I'm one of those snakes, snake oil sellers. I don't ever want you to think that I'm one of those snake oil sellers. Why? Because we are operating in spiritual things. And there are some spiritual things that I can't explain, and neither can they. And it's in that unknown space of spiritual things where if someone wants to manipulate your thinking concerning it, they can. 
There are some things that are spiritual. What is natural is that there are seeds in the ground and I can take seeds and I can put them in the dirt. What is natural is when they grow out of the dirt, I can take some of the fruit and from the fruit, I can eat some and I can plant some more seeds so I can do it again. I can tell you the dynamic of how that works. What I cannot tell you is what happens when a seed goes in the dirt. I can scientists observe and they can tell you what they observe. They can tell you that some kind of way the seed breaks open and some kind of way within that seed uh, roots start to grow that are much longer and larger than the seeds. They can tell you by observation that a plant starts to come out of the ground as roots go into the ground. They can tell you that some kind of way when the sun hits it, 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 it seems to grow even more. And they can also tell you that it reproduces itself after its own kind. They can give you an observation of what takes place, but they cannot tell you what happens in the darkness of the place where God is doing his work. You do your work in planting the seed. You do your work in taking from the harvest. But there is something that dismisses all of us from the conversation when the seed is in the place that you cannot touch. And it's in that place where we start to over-spiritualize giving. And it's in that place where we start to tell you what's happening in the dark place where nobody has answers, not your pastor and nobody else that gets up to talk to you about money. It's that spiritual space where God just takes the seed and allows the seed to reproduce after its own kind. And if, and if you're not careful, when we preach from that space of the unknown, of the whatever God is doing that I cannot explain what he's doing, from that space... It is open to a lot of interpretation and perhaps nefarious mischief. It is in that space where we, where everybody, uh, where all the preachers get rich and all the congregants leave broken. It's in that space. It's in that space. And if you're desperate enough, you'll buy, you'll buy into it. If you need it enough, you'll buy into it. If you need more money, you'll buy into, hey, give me $100 and God's going to bless you with 15000 before the end of the day. But God doesn't, in general, in general, God doesn't work that way. I will not tell you that God never works that way because I am the recipient of economic and financial miracles. So I would never say that. But I don't want you to walk around expecting this to be a norm that if you give $500 today, you're going to go home tonight and your bank account is going to be back to balanced. It generally doesn't work like that. Are you following me? Am I messing it up for your, your favorite preachers? I'm sorry. Now, the, now, here's the reality of it, though, is that there is something spiritual about giving. There is something miraculous about giving. There are some things that God put his hand on that we're not going to be able to explain, and I'm going to tell you the exact same thing that one of these, you know, uh, charlatans will tell you, but I'm going to try to give it to you in a way that you understand what God is doing, not that I get to take credit for what God is doing because there are some things that God does that if you have ever been in the space of being used by God, you know you wasn't good enough to do what just happened. If you've ever been used by God, you ever been used by God and you're like, boy, God bless the house and people got, and if you're just honest with yourself, you'd be like, boy, but I didn't really preach that good because I didn't really study last night. But look at what God did. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is a reality of what God is trying to, what, what, it's a reality of the humility that it takes to be God's woman or God's man and be used by God. And as we talk about this conversation of money, I'm going to show you some things in scripture that are simply God and not man. And not because God's man decreed it or declared it or made it happen. It's simply because God operates by principle. Somebody shout principle. Somebody shout principle. 
We're going to talk about money, but I want you to understand money is a principle that God put in the earth. Money is a principle. Money, there are things that I'm going to tell you that are not regulated to you just because you're born again. Unfortunately, we have made you to believe that if you do certain things and if you give a certain way, that it's a blessing that only operates with believers. Unfortunately, that's not how money works. There are many promises that God gives us that are directly for the household of faith and the body of Christ. The increase of money is not one of them. A principle exists so that anything that God created can take advantage of it. Principles are not regulated to believers. Principles are not regulated to people that, uh, that are filled with the Spirit of God. Principles are not regulated to people that walk by God. Anybody can take advantage of a principle. And money is a principle that God put in the earth. It is a principle. The reality of it is if you think that money is only, the reception of money is only something that is for believers, then you will find yourself bitter when you see people that are not believers receiving the benefits of the principles of money management. That's, what, that's when you go into your prayer closet and you be like, God, well, I have done all I know how to do and she still got blessed and she don't even walk with you. It's because she don't spend more than she brings in. Principle. Somebody shout principle. It's because she invested instead of war all her money. Somebody shout principle. This is the way that God operates. He operates in principle. And, and if we operate in the principles of money and we operate with biblical principles, then every time you move in a way that is strategic for your finances, you can give the glory to God and not a glory to the person whose book you bought. I've read some amazing books. I'm a, I'm a reader. Y'all know I, I'm an avid reader. I try to read at least a book a month, if not two. I run through books like, like people run through clothes because I love to read. And, and, and amongst the topics that I like to read about is economic and money and finance and all that good stuff. And I have read some amazing principles, some amazing ideas as it relates to money, and some amazing concepts as it relates to money. And I read these concepts about this $29.99 book that I bought. And I start to think, boy, it seems like I heard this before because I did hear it before from my Bible. I heard it before from my scripture. So God was the first one to think of this idea called money. We did not come up with it. All right. I'm going to give you a handful of principles that we're going to walk through. I'm going to lay a foundation for us today. We're going to build on it in the, in, in the weeks to come. And then we uh, are going to step into our series, uh, our February series, uh, in beginning the second or third week of February as opposed to the first week. But I want you to stay with me because as it relates to giving and finances, here's the reality. Uh, Microsoft, Amazon, General Motors are three companies that are amongst the top 20 companies that have in, in the world that give philanthropically throughout the globe. These are three of the richest, wealthiest, uh, uh, privately owned companies. I'm not talking about companies that are nation run, privately owned companies. They also happen to be in the top 20 of all of the global philanthropic giving. There is a reason that they are so wealthy and they're able to give so much. There is a connection between the fact that they give so much and that they remain a stalwart being wealthy. And I know that we've always thought that the reason why these companies are billion dollar companies is because of how horrible they are. 
and how mean these people are and how greedy they are. And I'm not saying that greed and all that stuff is not a portion of the conversation. But I am also saying, let's just look at the facts. Let's look at the facts that there is a correlation between philanthropic giving and some of the wealthiest privately owned businesses in the world. There is a, there is a connection that they build parks and they clean, have clean water initiatives and they give into third world countries and invest in infrastructure. There are, these companies put billions of dollars into philanthropic work and then they also make billions of dollars and everything in between might get a little bit muddy because we get jealous that we're not as billionaires like they're billionaires. But the reality is that there's a connection between giving and, and, and receiving. There's a direct connection with that. You can't undo that. You cannot undo that. So money, is there is a connection between the idea of giving and the idea of receiving. And we cannot not talk about this in the body of Christ because many people that run to the altars at church on Sunday run to the altars because they need economic relief. And the church said, economic relief. It's, for some people, it's hard to even bless God for being God because we need him to help with rent. For some of us, it's hard for us to give God the glory just because he deserves the glory because we need help with the car note. So half my prayer time is about God's supply for my car note, and it's never about God, you're just God, so I give you the praise. And we wonder why there is no real authentic move of God in, in, in the wealthiest country in the world because the wealthiest country in the world is more in debt, and we need God to fix debt and not God to be God. Are you following what I'm saying? Are you hearing where I'm going, Balcony? This is, this is a part of, this is a critical mass because money is necessary. Can you imagine that if, if your household, I'm talking about just your household, had an extra $1,500 a month coming through the household, how much stress that would take off of you? Am I talking to anybody? The number two reason for divorce in the United States of America is economic related is we don't have enough money. We're always fighting over money. We always are spending too much money. We cannot afford the luxuries or the, or the things we need or the things we want. We cannot afford them from week to week. And we look across the table at one another and we are ready to go to divorce court and an extra 1800 bucks could keep your marriage together. But I don't want the preacher preaching about it. Y'all uh-huh. I don't want the preacher talking about, don't talk about money. And an extra $800 a month, you'd be able to sleep better. Mm -hmm. Much of your stress, your inability to sleep, your grinding your teeth, your, 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 your premature gray hair is centered around how in the world am I going to get this extra $900 to make rent happen every month? How in the world am I going to get this extra $600 to send it to my child so she don't have to come home from college? How am I going to get this extra $1,500 so that I can get this car note that I'm behind on before they come? I'm tired of parking in the basement. Amen. Amen. I'm tired of parking in the basement. I'm tired of hoping I get double parked when I go to work so they don't come and take this car from me. I'm exhausted with doing that. An extra $1,200, an extra $1,500 could, could literally save you from a stress heart attack. Think about that. Think about that. But I don't want the preacher telling me anything that God has to say about getting economic relief in my life. I don't want to hear the preacher because all the preacher is going to do is tell me that I have to give him something, which is going to make it tighter on me from week to week instead of showing me how to release myself. And, and I, bought, I bought into that, that I didn't want you guys saying that about me. But, but God always gives us a chance to correct where we're wrong. And the church said, 
So I'm gonna jump into this concept, this conversation about money. Somebody shout money. Somebody shout money. All right, before we even get into this, I don't even know how I missed putting this down on my sheets for you. I need you to understand the very first principle about life and about money is that I want you to understand as it relates to giving and as it relates to money and as it relates to life, I need you to understand this. Write down Psalms 24 and 1 and put it in your notes right now. The, the scripture simply says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the worlds and they that dwell therein. I want you to understand this. Before you start to talk about giving, before we have a dialogue about, about money, I need you to understand that everything in this earth belongs to the Lord. It's God's. Somebody shout, it's God's. The earth is the Lord's. Somebody shout, everything in it. He said the world and everything in that world I created belongs to him. God is, he is, now stay with me because this is going to mess with your, your language. He has assumed ownership for everything that you will call valuable in this world. He is the owner of the gold. He is the owner of the silver. He is the owner of the onyx. He is the owner of the platinum. He is the owner of whatever you give value to. He owns the diamonds. He owns whatever you end up giving value to. God is the assumed owner. Somebody shout, God's the owner. Somebody shout, God's my owner. He said, not just the world, but they that dwell therein. That means you too. God has assumed ownership over everything that he has created. Now, if you don't get that, then we can close the book and go home and forget any conversation about giving. Because what happens when you don't understand that God owns it all, you will assume that the things in your life you own. But God is trying to help us understand that we are not owners. We are managers or stewards of his stuff. And the church said, somebody shout, God owns it. I'm just the manager. That's right. You don't own it. Now, here's the problem. When we assume ownership of it, when I assume that it's mine, when I declare that it's my money and I earned it, and I, when I say that it's mine, then I give myself rights and privileges to, to, to make decisions on how I'm going to maneuver my money. Now, the problem is, is that if you were the owner, you do have the right to maneuver your money. But when you're a manager, you don't get to maneuver the money the way you want to do it. You have to hear from the owner and the owner tells you how to shift it, and then you shift it according to the way the owner, somebody shout the owner, or the way the owner has it. Now, that's where we miss God, is that the, first, the reason why we don't give is because it's mine and I don't want to give. The reason why we give is I don't have enough of it to give. The reason why we don't give is because we come with all of these excuses that only the owner has the right to determine. The owner has the right to determine it. The manager doesn't. If, you were the, if, if I was the owner of McDonald's and you were the manager, the night manager of McDonald's, and you came to me and you said, hey, man, I don't, we don't have enough French fries to make it through the morning. And I looked outside and I saw how long the line was. And I said, well, keep giving the French fries out in good measure. And you said, but I'm going I'm to slow it down and I'm not going to give the people that get the extra large, extra large. I'm going to give them, I'm gonna give them uh, the extra large box, but I'm going to put large fries in the box. And then instead of giving the medium, medium, I'm going to put small amount in the medium box. And then I, and I'll make up the difference. Watch this. I'm going to make up the difference at the bottom or I'll make up the difference at the top. 
And the owner came back to you and said, no, keep giving everybody what they paid for. But we don't have enough. But, we, but give them what they pay for. But you don't understand, we don't have enough. But give them what they pay for. Now what happens is we end up doing that with God. You, you, even though you look like you don't have enough french fries, you don't have the right to tell the owner. You keep giving, and, and if you run out, you run out. Or, or maybe the owner knows that there's a big shipment coming in, and around 1 o'clock in the morning, before you run out, there's going to be another supply. What? Because, because isn't it fair to say that God knows more about your life than you do? Huh? Isn't it fair to say that God knows who's going to release what into your life at the right time? You sing all these songs. It may not come when I want it, but he's always on time. God say, trust me, I'm going to be on time. And I'm going to be on time with your money. And I'll be on time with your resources. And I'm going to be on time. And if you trust me and let me do what I do, I can make sure that things come into your life at the right time that you need them. But don't assume ownership of my stuff. That's what God said. God's like, don't assume ownership of my stuff. Why is money oftentimes associated with a fight for rights? Because money is indicative of power. Money is indicative of power. Uh, there is something that come on all of us when our money is right. Can I tell the truth? Shame the devil. Boy, you real humble when you ain't got no money. Boy, you listen. You be up in church, everything. But with more money, you have more options. Are you following what I'm saying? With more money, you have more options. There are some stuff that you'll take from somebody when you broke that you won't take from them if you could pack up and leave. I wish I had some help in here. Y'all better help me in here. You want to get your husband to start acting right? You want to get your wife to start acting right? Get your money right. Get your money right. And so, that, look, I got options, Joker. You're not going to be punching me in the eye every time you get mad. You're not going to be cussing me out like I'm nobody every time you get mad. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I know that that's sound, but there, how many people are locked in places in their life because, simply because they can't afford to walk out? And I'm not advocating walking out. I'm saying make it work, work it. That's why I said punch in the eye. Punching the eyes is a walkout situation, right? You know, you you tired because she didn't gain three more pounds. That ain't a walkout situation, right? So uh, I want you to hear what I'm saying, though. Somebody shout money. Somebody shout money. How many of you ever lost sleep trying to figure out how to pay for a bill? Are, are you hearing what I'm saying? How many of you just given up on some of your dreams because you can't see how you're going to finance it? Are you? Am I talking to anybody? This is real stuff. This is real stuff. The money issue is a real conversation. And it seems like everybody got it but you. It seems like everybody, at least that's what the world makes us think, is that everybody's got more than they need, and everybody's got it except for you. You're the only one that don't have what you need. But that's not the way it operates. That's not what God is doing. So money becomes is an important aspect of our journey. It's an important aspect of our lives, and we have to talk about it. And we have to see what the Word of God has to say about it. See, here's what, Adam, I want you to understand something about power and money. Because money and power gives you opportunities and options to make decisions for yourself. Well, at the, at the root of sin is, is, uh, of Adam's disobedience was, was his ability to operate and to have power that allowed him to make a decision for himself. When God looked at Adam, God had a problem with Adam's sin, not because he disobeyed, because God could f have forgiven his disobedience, but it was because of the statement that he said about the power situation. 
So God, who is all-powerful, who says that I am the king of the governance of this whole world, he tells Adam, he says, I don't want you eating from the, 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 the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and I want all of your sustenance to come from me because I am the almighty, all-powerful one. Adam looked at the circumstance and the situation and realized that God had given him something that he had not given all the other animals, the power to make decisions that weren't his. What Adam ends up doing is whether Adam and Eve did it in cahoots or however it ended up happening, they decided that they would now govern their own lives. And they made a decision exerting their power separate from God's power. They decided that they were going to eat from the, the, the knowledge of good, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, when, and not only did they decide that they could eat from the knowledge of good and evil, they also said, I have the power to cover myself in the process. So they went to the tree and they, they sold figs for themselves. I have the power to make decisions. I have the power to sustain myself. I have the power. And what he forgot is that there was a God that governed the trees that were going to make the leaves that he could cover himself with. When God called Adam and asked him to be accountable for the decision that he made, this was not a situation of sin in the sense that you were disobedient to me. This was a situation of two people that had power that were now at odds against themselves. The kingdom of God and Adam just created a kingdom for himself. And God says, so you want to govern your own life now. You want to have the power to make your own decisions now. You want to have the power to do what you want to do. Uh, how about this? The trees are not yours. They're mine. Are, are y'all following me now? Are, are you following me now? He said the trees are not yours. They're mine. So watch this. Now I'm going to make all the trees have thorns and thistles, and instead of them yielding at your beckoning, you're going to have to fight for it. He said you want to have a power struggle? Let's have a power struggle. He told the animal, he said, the serpent, the serpent who was an upright animal, they said, and he stood upright and would have talked face to face. He said, oh, you want to have a power struggle? Instead of being upright, you will now slither on your belly from now until I come back again. He said, you want it to be a power struggle? He said, woman, now you will have to submit yourself to your husband if there's going to be order. And guess what? I'm not taking away your genius and your aptitude. You're going to be smarter than him and still going to have to do what he said. He said, y'all want to play fucking back to me in here. God is, said, nobody plays power like God can play power. God know who shot ghost. Nobody can play power like God can play power. Watch this now. God didn't, God did not just, y'all better get spiritual. God did not just look at the situation as being a situation of Adam disobeying God looked at Adam and said you want to be the king of your own life and there cannot be two kings in the same domain so what you have done is not sin you've committed treason and I've got to deal with the treasonous aspect of who you are before we can be reconciled watch this now he, he had to help him understand that you don't own this. I own it. The earth is the earth is the Lord's. You don't own this. I own this. Now, you got to take that idea into your money because your money gives you a sense of power. 
and your sense of power heightens your reality that you get to make choices and decisions and some of those choices and decisions you make are not going to be what God would have challenged you to do with it and God says and yet and still I want to put it in your hand I want to give you power but I want you to put it in this right perspective and remember that you are a manager not an owner somebody shout I'm a manager somebody shout I'm a manager Let's run with these five laws for giving. Here's the first law that I want you to get about, about it. The Lord expects you to give. If God puts it in your hands, watch this. He expects you to give. Somebody shout, God expects me to give. There is a righteous expectation that God has for you giving. Why can God expect you to give to the kingdom of God? Because it is his will and his desire to give his resources. And when God makes the decision that I want to give my resources, God just uses you and me as the medium to pass his resources to the world. God's not going to make a bale of money fall out the sky. It doesn't work like that. God uses you and I to give resources to the world. So when God says that, I, oh, man, I really want to bless this church economically, what he does as an owner is he goes to one of his managers or he goes to a bunch of his managers and he tells them, hey, you know that money I gave you? Give 10% of it to the house of the Lord. That's what he does. And because it's his, he expects you to respond to it. Somebody shout expectation. God has an expectation that we would be givers. God has an expectation. Do you remember the story when Jesus, the Bible said Jesus got hungry and he saw a fig tree off in the, in, in the distance and he started, well, and the Bible said that Jesus thought to himself, oh, I'll go get me a fig off the fig tree because I'm hungry. It makes sense. He walks over to the fig tree. He gets to the fig tree and he realizes that there are no figs on a fig tree that's fully bloomed. And Jesus said he cursed the fig tree and he kept on going into the city. They came back the next day and his disciples said, boy, isn't that the tree? that we walked past yesterday that didn't have any fruit on it, why'd you curse it? And God was trying to help them understand his, something about his expectation. God was like, I made a perfectly good tree when I made this tree. I made seasons so that this tree could bloom in the right season. How in the world do I have a good tree and the perfect season and ain't no fruit? He said, when I walked over to this tree, I expected there to be fruit on this tree. And when I walked into it, I gave her the perfect gift in the perfect church, and she ain't having no fruit. Okay, that's a whole nother. She, okay, are you hearing what I'm saying? He said, he said, I walked over, and I expected to get something from the thing that I am the owner of. I created it to produce fruit. How does it not have fruit while I'm in my, my, my moment of need? This is, I want you to see how this works. Because when God tells us to sow and give, somebody needs what's coming off of that tree. And if they get to the tree where God wants to bless them and heal them in the season of their life, and you and I decide, I ain't giving this Sunday because I don't have I ain't giving this Sunday because I give every Sunday. I ain't giving this Sunday because I give more than her. Hungry people will show up to the church and there won't be food on the tree. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Is this making sense? God expects you. Somebody shout expect. Look at what he tells them in Matthew chapter 6. He says this. He says, and when you give, do not sound a trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. I want you to understand, God expects you to give. He did not say, and if you want to give, do not sound a trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. He did not say that, hey, when you get around to it, do not sound and give. Do not sound the trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Watch what God said. He said, they're going to be hypocrites that give. 
He said, there are going to be people that's going to sing and talk big about how they give. They're going to be in the streets. He said, and if they're giving, don't think that I don't have an expectation for you to give. And when you give, somebody shout, when I give. He tells us when we give, not if you want to give, if you feel like giving, if you got it, then give. He said, if I put it in your hand and I want it to be given, when you give, don't do it like they do it. Somebody shout, expectation. Look at what he says in Exodus, Exodus 25 and 1. Look at what he says in Exodus 25 and 1. Exodus 25 and 1 says, And the Lord said to Moses, He said, And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. You shall receive. Watch what God says. He says, Speak to the people, Terrell. He said, and tell and take from me a contribution. In other words, he said, talk to the people and tell them to contribute something. Mm-hmm. He said, tell them to contribute something. And from every man, somebody shout from every person. Somebody shout from every person. The one that's making over $90,000. That's who he's talking to. No, God said from every person. The one who budgets well. No, he said from every person. He said, for every person that's got the nerve to come into the house and ask me for something, he said, take a contribution from them. And when their heart moves, you shall take it from them or receive it from them. And, and this, watch this, is a contribution for me. I want you to take a contribution for me. You and I are, are locked in God's idea of the way that resources get to the kingdom of God. The people of God are the instruments by which God gets resources to the kingdom of God. And God said, I don't want, I don't want people walking in talking about, well, I don't have it. I, God says, I don't want people walking in talking about, I can't afford to give this, this day. I don't want people coming in saying, I make too much money to be given a whole tenth of it. That's crazy. Uh, she only give $1,000 a month. I got to give $10,000 a month. I don't want to walk. God says, uh-uh, you, you, you're talking like an owner. God said, you're talking like it's your stuff. He said, you're talking like it. And the last guy that was acting like the, my stuff was his stuff, I pushed him out the garden. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Somebody shout, God expects me to give. There is a righteous expectation that we give. That is the first principle. Here's your second principle. I want you to write this down. Giving is an act of worship. Giving is an act of worship. You hear me say it all the time. Worship is giving, and giving is worship. Giving is an act of worship. The same way we lift our hands and give God the praise, and we dance and shout, or we sing music, or we serve in the community, and we say, God, receive my service as worship. God says, I receive your giving as worship too. And I want you to be careful about how you choose to give it to me. The same way I want you careful about how you choose to sing songs to me and serve for me. And all those things. Watch what Paul says. He says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside, storing up as you prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Paul said this. Now, I want you to see what is optimal. He said, on the first day of the week, when you're at church, he said, I want you all to prepare something for when you show up to the first day of the week of worship service because there is going to be a collection that takes place to take care of kingdom business every time you walk into the house of the Lord. He says that it's a part of everything that takes place in the form of a worship service is assumed as worship. 
And when giving goes forward, that's not the time to get up and run to the bathroom before the preacher because, because giving or preaching is more important than giving. It's not the time to do that. I'm going to run and go change the baby right quick. I'm gonna, this, is my, this is intermission. Offering is not intermission. That's why we sing a worship song with it. Amen. That's why we sing a worship song with it. Because anytime we give to the kingdom of God, anytime we are servicing the kingdom of God, God calls it worship. Look at what he says in Matthew. Upon coming to the house, I want you to notice how the children, uh, how these three wise men approached God when it was time to give him something. Upon the coming of the house, the baby Jesus is in the house. He is born. The Bible says that they saw the child with his mother. Watch this. And they bowed down. Somebody shall bow down. They humbled themselves. Uh, uh, bowing down is, a, is an outward act of what's supposed to be an inward thing. It is supposed to be humility. It's supposed to be lowering myself to let whatever it is or whoever it is be higher than me, both, in, in li both literally and spiritually. He says that they bowed down to worship him. And what did they do while they was worshiping? They weren't just singing songs and giving God the glory and then leaving and going home. The Bible says that then they opened up their treasures and they presented him with gifts. They not only came to church to worship God, they also put gifts in the house of the Lord. Somebody shout giving is worship. Shout giving is worship. You've got to see what God sees. When God sees us giving, when we come into the house of the Lord to sow and to, when the offering is going forward and the collection is happening. God is all the way into the worship. The Bible said that Jesus sat at the synagogue and he was watching the collection plate. I'm preaching way better than y'all saying amen. He was watching the collection plate. A lady, come, a guy comes up and they throwing big money in the collection plate. And Jesus is looking at the collection plate like, whoo, whoo. Oh, God, Lord have mercy. We might be able to get the carpet changed at the church. And then the Bible said that this little lady comes up with two mites, which is about a half a penny, and she drops it in. And she didn't try to sneak it up either. She dropped it in so Jesus could see it. You watching everybody give? I want you to watch what I give. Say, oh, you blessing people that give? I want to see if you're going to bless me what I give. Oh, all the people with big money, you saying amen too? I wonder if you're going to say amen to the little bit that I have because I don't drive a big car like she drives, and I didn't marry into money like he married into money. He said, but, but you told us that, uh, that your expectation is that we be givers, right? So if your expectation is that I'm a giver, then you're going to have to take what I can afford to give, God. And, God, and she laid it in there proud to give her two bits. And Jesus looked at the disciples and said, that woman right there gave more than everybody else gave because they gave out of their wealth and she gave out of her poverty, which means that she didn't have wealth to separate the cushion between her heart and her gift. I'm preaching better than y'all shouting amen. They gave, but it didn't hurt. They gave, but it didn't cost anything. They gave, but they're not going to lose something. She might not have cable this month. She dropped it in the, in the house. I'm preaching way better than y'all shouting amen. Y'all having a good time, but y'all ain't getting the word. I, I need you to get it. She dropped it in, and God said she gave actually more than everybody else gave. She actually showed me she, actually showed me she trusts me. She actually showed me she believes in me. She actually showed me that I am her provider. 
She actually showed me that, y'all not talking back to me, that I'm Jehovah Jireh, not Jehovah Job. Are you hearing what I'm saying? She trusts that I'm going to keep the factory open so she'll always have a job to go to. That's what it is. She trusts that even if the factory closed down, I got another job for her so that she can keep giving to the kingdom of God. And watch this. And as long as she keeps sowing her two bits, I'm going to keep giving her everything that she needs to make sure that she can consistently honor my word. Amen? Watch this. Let's jump into the word of God real quick. Is this blessing anybody? Is this blessing anybody? All right. I want you to write this down. Write this down. Not only is, uh, is giving a sign of worship, but it should be done in light of Jesus' costly sacrifice. Your giving should be done in light of the sacrifice. Uh, it's unfortunate that the reason why shame, the reason why we have shame, shame and comparison go hand in hand. I'm only ashamed when I compare myself to. I get ashamed of myself when I compare myself to. I'm ashamed of my behavior because I can compare it to when I had good behavior. I'm ashamed that I don't have money when I compare myself to somebody that did have money. I'm ashamed of my clothes when I compare it to somebody else's clothes. I'm ashamed of my offering when I compare it to somebody else's offering. Are you following what I'm saying? But Jesus said that comparing your offering to them is the wrong person to compare it to. You should be comparing it to me, not comparing it to them. And in light of it being compared to me, everybody's offering ain't big enough. Am I talking to anybody in here? He says, 2 Corinthians 8 9, Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. He said, when you start thinking about giving, I want you to think about who really rich that sacrificed something for this giving thing. He said, just because you gave your little bit and it's going to cost you your Big Mac and you can't supersize it after church, you're going to have to get the regular size instead of the supersize. God said, that ain't no sacrifice because you're going to have to wait till next month to get your 70-inch TV screen. God said, that's not a sacrifice. God said, I'm going to help you understand what sacrifice is. I lived in a space where there was no time. He said, if you want to know what sacrifice is, I lived in a space where anything that could exist, I had to be inside of it in order for it to exist. If it breathed, I was in what was breathing. I was in the molecules that created the skin. I was in the molecules that created the lung structure. I was in the molecules that created the brain. Not only did I create the brain, I became the blood that got pushed through the brain. And not only did I become the brain, that, the blood that pushed through the brain, I am the brain that created the idea of the chair. And when you got ready to sit, in the chair. The fabric of the chair could not hold itself together unless I was in the molecules that would create the fabric that you was going to sit to make that chair comfortable. If you want to talk about who sacrificed something, I had no time, no space, and now I got calendar days and calendar years. I never had pain, and now my back hurts because I've got to be the, the carpenter to build houses for people. I came from a place where I did not work for anybody, and now I work for you, and you got the nerve to say that I didn't fix the table the way you want the table y'all are not talking back to me and you got the nerve to talk about die I don't even know what dying is and I gave all of that up so that I could come down and sacrifice myself that you might have an opportunity watch this to make a decision about me that you might have the power to exercise your power and it might not even be in my favor. 
I wish I had some help in here. I wish I had some help in here. I don't like 50-50 propositions. Most times, if I got, if you got a chance of messing me over, we ain't doing business like that. But God says that I am going, I came down and totally sacrificed my life and my journey, inconvenienced myself to give you an opportunity to receive what I sacrificed. And the reality is you might not choose me. I died for your chance to tell me no. Jesus, help me in this life. I died for your opportunity to reject me. I died so that you could be free enough to say, I don't even want to listen to him. Watch this. And after years of you rejecting me, I died for the fact that if one day you came to yourself, I would still forgive you and bless you for all the years that you walked away from me. He said, don't talk to me about sacrifice. I wish I had some help in here. I wish I had some help in here. I want you to tell your neighbor real quick, Jesus sacrificed it all. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. He said he sacrificed it. He said, God said, don't come to me talking about I ain't got it. He said, don't come here talking about, but God, you don't know my heart and my circumstance. God said, I do know your heart, and I also know what, you put, what I put in your pocket, and I know that if you didn't have red bottoms, you would have an offering for Sunday. Some of y'all don't know what red bottoms are. Are you following what I'm saying? All right, let me give you this last one. I'm going to get out of your space. Let me give you this last one. I'm going to get out of your space. Uh, maybe I'll give you the last two. Okay. All right. He says, he says, that, he says, I want you to give, principle number three, in accordance with your means. He said, the means is what you have. He said, I want you to give in accordance with your means. Watch what he says in 2 Corinthians 8. He said, for if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has. Somebody shout what I have. Somebody shout what I have. Not according to what he doesn't have. So I don't want, that's why I, I tease all the time and I say, hey man, we don't want diaper money and we don't want rent money and we don't want all those things. We, your offense should come out of what you have. Now, let's talk about what I have. Somebody shout what I have. We say in our giving statement that I have everything that I need. That's what we say. That God has blessed me beyond measure and I have more than enough. Somebody shout more than enough. Let's talk about what I have. So there's a story in the scripture where Jesus starts to tell this parable about an owner. Somebody shout owner. An owner that gives sustenance to three of his employees. To one he gives five, to another he gives three, and to another one he gives one. The Bible says he tells them to go into the market and to make haste and to bring them back a return on what he gave them. The scripture says after a little bit of time, the owner comes back and he asks his stewards to make account for what he put in their life. The one that had five came back to Jesus and gave him five plus an extra five. And Jesus said, well done, my good and faithful servant. The one that had three came and brought Jesus three plus three on top of the three, the, the three that God gave him. God said, well done, my good and faithful servant. The third one comes and says, you know what? You gave me one and because you gave me one, I didn't want to risk losing this one and bringing you back nothing. So instead of investing this one, I hid it in the dirt waiting for you to come back for it. And when you came back, I would have the one that you gave me. And he said, and here is what you gave me. I sure appreciate you being a good God to me because you are just enough God. You are God of just enough. You are God that sustains me with what I have, what I need. Here, have it back. 
The Bible said that the owner took it and he said, you unprofitable servant. In other words, he said, you worthless servant. He said, you, you have no value to me if you're going to give me back what I gave you. I could have just kept it. <laughs> I could have just kept it if you're going to give it back. He said, but what you should have done is you should have taken it to the market and you should have traded like the rest of those guys traded. Watch this now. And, and because they have increased, they, have, they don't have increase because they have more to invest. They have the increase because I am the God of the market. God help me in this place. He said, see, that's what you missed. He said, I'm the God of the market. And, and I was working in the market while they were investing. And had you taken your one and put it in the place where I'm in control, you would have come back and had increased too. So now you got the nerve to tell me that you don't have enough to give to the kingdom on Sundays because, pastor, I don't have enough money. And, and God is like, but I knew how much money you was going to make before I asked you to sow it into to the kingdom I know how much you bring home before I asked you to take it to the kingdom I did not make my principles based off of how much money you were gonna make or weren't gonna make I gave him five I expect five I gave her three I expect three I gave you one and I expect you to give me back what I put in your hand with the interest of trusting me with what you have the issue is not about what I have. The issue is, do you trust God? Am I preaching to somebody in here? The issue is not how much money I have. The issue is, do I trust God? God, it's yours, and I'll take it and do what you told me to do with it, even though I don't have a lot of it. And if you stop comparing yourself with the man that's got five, then you'll see that God is doing something with the one that you have. God, I wish I was preaching. I wish I had enough time to help you understand that everything about your life is governed by the fact that God has given you a propensity to be able to handle five, handle three, or handle one. And God would not put you in an atmosphere where one was not enough. He always puts you in an atmosphere with what he gave you will be enough for you to survive. So if you stop living like you got five and live like you operating on one, then you will always have more than enough. Y'all are not talking back to me in this house. And you've got to take what you have and invest it in places where God's hand is moving so that your one can become two. That's how you extend your your life. You don't extend your journey by hoping that some hocus pocus preacher will come and take it from your hand and bless your life. And now you're going to make five when you didn't work to make five. There is no magic trick. God says, if you give to me, I'll give it back to you. Good measure, press down, run it over. He said, I'll shake it up and make it run over in your life. But there is no magic trick to this giving thing. He said, give in accordance to what I gave to you. So now, if I realize that I'm a one, I give according to being a one. But that doesn't mean I don't give because I'm a one. God, help me in this place. I don't give it. I don't say I'm not sowing to the kingdom of God because I don't have what she has. Now, I want you to hear me fives. Fives. I want you to hear me fives. Here's the reality is that the Bible says that to whom much is given. Uh-huh. I wish I had some help in here. He said to whom much is given, much is required. 
Y'all can't be in the board meeting talking about, well, how come everybody that's got one don't give their stuff? God said, don't you worry about what they're giving or what they're not giving. I gave you five, and I expect a return on the five that I gave you. You make your little $10,000, and you still give a $400 check because it's more than the lady that's giving the $100 check. And you come back and you tell God, you tell, you tell the board, you know, I'm not giving my tithe, I'm not, you know, I'm not a full tithe, but it's still more than anybody else giving. You know how y'all do. I had to, I've done it, I had to get myself together too. He said, it's more than anybody else giving, and if they ain't going to give, who am I to carry the load? Uh, actually, the Bible actually does say that those that are strong should bear the infirmities, uh-huh, and that apply to everything to you but your money. That apply to everything. You put it up. That's right, girl. I'm built up in the Holy Ghost. I got your back. You can crown my shoulder. That's what you think that means. But it also is talking about every area of your life. You strong in your economics. You need to show up strong when you. All right. I'm going to give you this last thing. I'm going to get out your, I'm gonna get out your space because next week, next week, next week. 2 Corinthians, let's see, what did I do wrong? Here we go. All right? Write this down. Write this down. Uh-oh. Where, where are we at now? Nope. I don't want that one. I want to go back one. I'll go back one. Go back one. There we go. There we go. Nope. Go back one. Keep going back. All right. Here we go. First Corinthians 16 and 2. I want you to keep that one down. He says, each of you is to put aside. Somebody shout, put aside. He's trying to help some of us that operate on, the, you know, we, some of us that ain't making $150,000 a year. He's trying to help those of us that do make over one hundred fifty dollars or so. You know, I'm just using that as an arbitrary number, but he's trying to help some people that don't have a lot of wealth and some people that have a lot of wealth. He says, I don't want, he says, here's, I'm going to help you, I'm going to help you give in accordance to what you have. He said, put aside and save so that you can give. He said, as ye may prosper. In other words, according to what you have. He said, put it aside. Watch what, when did Paul say put it aside? In the first verse before then, he said, at, beginning, at the beginning of the week, he said, I want you to start thinking about God before you get to church on Sunday. See, he says that God loves a cheerful giver. Well, yeah, I am cheerful. I feel great about things when I prepare for them. Amen. I feel great about them when I'm prepared for them. I'll be the first one standing when I already know how, what, when I already, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I put it aside. I made sure I made a couple sacrifices throughout the week so that I can give God what God told me he wants for my life. And I'm super stoked and excited about giving. He said, when he says God loves a cheerful giver, of course it's cheerful when I've saved up to have it. But then he goes on to say that God, that don't give begrudgingly. Begr how, what, how do I give begrudgingly? Because I'm giving to God. That's when the pastor asks for it and you'd be like, I didn't prepare to give it, and he got the nerve to ask me for it. And I'm a one talent, so I ain't giving it all anyway. Or I am going to give it. I just wasn't planning on giving it. I want you to see your worship. Yeah, I'm going to give it. Yeah, always something wrong with this building. Oh, we got to fix the roof. That, uh, oh, we, oh, no, it's Thanksgiving. Now we got feed families. We got benevolence. <laughs> no, here we go. It's Halloween. They want to do this thing for these kids. I ain't got no kids that young. 
I'm trying to help you. I'm talking about real attitudes that exist. You, you, I want you to see because that's your worship. Now, now let's move that to a different context because now the worship songs are going and the spirit is high. And now this is what you're doing. That's what you're doing. This is what you're doing. Here you go. You're singing your song and you're just like, mm, mm, mm. If y'all saw the worship team doing that, y'all be like, look at the stank. She, she ought not even be up there worshiping. She gonna have a stank face on. We're supposed to serve the Lord with gladness. That's look like, that look like sadness up there. That, we're supposed to bless the Lord with all my soul. It looked like everything about her soul smell. In the world. But I want you, because, because we don't like to take it and apply it to other places of worship. Time to get. Oh, here we go with that giving thing again. Oh, you know how y'all used to do back in the day. See, we, we pull giving closer to the preach word now. Because back in the day when giving was early in service, y'all jokers would conveniently show up after giving. Everybody like influx, like here they come. Must be, all right, guess what? I'm going to take giving after I preach. No, I'm just joking. Is this blessing anybody? Is this blessing anybody? All right, give God a hand, praise the blessing. I'll, I'll give you the rest when I get back. Come on, stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Somebody shout money game. When the game of money really ain't a game. There are two places where you will always find your heart tested. The first place is with people you don't like or people that have hurt you. And God tells you to be a blessing to them. That's the place where God is testing your heart. And the other place is in the area of your giving. In the area of our giving. Because sometimes this is the place where we take the most ownership because it makes me feel like I have the most power. Because when I have a pocket full of money, I can make decisions on my life. I can make decisions on whether I want to go or stay or go to the concert or stay at home. If I want to relax, if I want, I can make decisions. There is something about having money that tests our heart. Are you following what I'm saying? And God is saying that, listen, hey, 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 hey. He said, before you start acting like it's yours, I want you to remember that it's mine. What's this? He said, I want you to remember he said, I want you to remember. He said, hey, 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 hey. He said, I want you to remember that the book is mine. So if I ask you to give my book to my brother, I don't expect you to hold it in your hand. Talking about I ain't giving it to him. He get on my nerves. It's not your book. Give him my book. And if I ask him, give the book to my sister. And I want you to put the book in her head, and I want you to smile when you do it. You don't get to say, when I am giving. I tried to ask her for a ride the other day. She drove right past me. It's not your book. And if I say, bring me my book back, and you say, I don't want to give my tithe. Now, you're not just disobedient, you're robbing me. Will a man, when you think you own it, you will. When you think it's yours, you will. 
they were perplexed about robbing God. They was like, what do you mean rob God? Well, of course I would never want to rob. Who would in their right mind would want to rob God? And God said, when I ask for it back in the tithe and offering, and you act like it's yours, you didn't think you were, but you were. And he said, unfortunately, I can't bless you that way. So the soul that's liberal, the Bible said, will be made fat. <laughs> he said, the soul that gives God stuff. And all of this, all of this is just the currency of taking one gift and putting it from one hand to another hand, one hand to another hand. It just flows like a current, and that's why they call your money currency. Because it goes from one stream to the next stream, and your money ain't new money. Your money was somebody else's money before it became your money. And you're gonna give your money to somebody else, you're gonna need some bread one day, or you're gonna need to pay rent one day, and your money is going to go to them. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God ain't creating new money. You know what God is doing? He's instructing people to let it flow. And I speak over your life today that it's about to flow in your life. I speak over your life today that it's about to flow. Somebody shout, it's going to flow. But the real challenge is not will it come to, but can it get through? The challenge is not will it come to, I've got more than enough. <laughs> but will it go through? Y'all are not talking back to me in here. And the test of the heart, the test of the heart is because I love what I have in my hand. And it'll make me greedy. And it'll make me stingy. And it'll make me disobey scripture. And it'll make me, it'll make me a powerful mad scientist over this little $3,500 I have. Make me a mad scientist over this 800 bucks I got. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Are you hearing what I'm saying? So I give the power. He said, and it make you, he said, in the love of that thing, all manners of evil start to rise up. So guess what? So I'm giving, I'm giving God his power back. I'm saying, God, it's your money, not my money. It's your money, not my money. I don't want to be so powerful that I end up making decisions like Adam. So I give you your money back. And God, and if you want me to sow it, I'll sow it. And if you want me to save it, I'll save it. And if you want me to give a tithe, I'll give a tithe. And God, there's nothing that, that is not yours. If I acknowledge it's yours, that I won't do with what is yours. And, and I feel bad because I don't always manage the stuff you put in my life well. So sometimes I get in a pickle at the end of the month. I get in the pickle at the end of the month. Watch it. Not because it didn't come through, but because I didn't manage it well. And now I'm feeling some kind of way that you want your stuff back, but I didn't manage it. How many of you believe God is able? How many of you believe God is able? Uh, how many of you believe he's able?